Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, and I will be live here with you for the next hour. Actually, for the next uh, 43 minutes, the last 23 minutes of the broadcast, or excuse me, 33 minutes. Last half of the broadcast, I will be interviewing, or excuse me, airing the interview I did with Lee Camp uh, earlier this week. And um, man, we had a lot to talk about. Um, there's a little bit of profanity in there, so... I understand that I try to keep it as uh, as tame as possible. So, if any of you do have um, children or what have you listening, just um, that might be something you might want to listen to on your own. So, once again, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you listening live, I really am flattered that you choose to spend your Tuesday evening with me here, and it is October twenty ninth, twenty thirteen. And um, I will not be doing a show this Thursday. It will be Halloween. Um, I will be back, however, next Tuesday night. So thank you for all of your support. Thanks for all the good feedback. Um, Thank you to all the new groups on Facebook that have invited me in and have been very receptive to the podcast. So much appreciated. Remember, this is not about um, myself as the individual. Even though I do host the broadcast, it's about us. It's about the people. It's about trying to regain control of humanity from the clutches of the global technocratic um, jackasses. Let's just call them what they are. I mean, they think so little of us that they are now throwing their policies in our face as if we can't read books. So, as the tagline says, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, there's a reason to get a friend because typically when you study and research, it's much better to get somebody else's perspective. It's also much better to share information with people that you know and you trust. And it becomes an awakening process um, and, a, um, and a fulfilling process to learn something with somebody else and exchange ideas, although you know, schooling and everything else would tell you that you know, once you get out of college, that's pretty much all you need to do. You don't, you don't need to learn anything else than that. So just, you know, just go enjoy football. Go enjoy, you know, whatever your passion is. If you like playing kickball on the weekends or if you like playing beer league softball, go do that stuff. Let the politicians take care of the politics. Well, we see where that's gotten us. It's gotten us funded by a lot of large corporations, gotten us funded by a lot of um, banking institutions. It's got um, rampant corruption throughout every government on the planet. And now the people are upset and the people need a place to go and a place to you know, converse with one another. I said conversate last week, I think, which is a, a word that well, I made up. So you know, don't deduct any IQ points, everybody. I am scrambling just like everybody else here to understand what is going on with humanity, even though I know the stratagem behind the plan, when you see it unfold in front of you, it adds a whole different level of intimidation, a whole different level of sophistication, 
and a whole different level of mind control that you could never believe even existed until you try to talk to the general population. And once again, this show is somewhat targeted towards the general population, but it's also targeted to the people that have had the awakening experience, that have had that come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, to, to capture, a, um, to capture a, a popular religious platform's phrase. But we really do have to come to a semblance of reality. And I have an article here that I want to read, and it's from one of my favorite authors. And I highly recommend reading his book or listening to his book on Audible. I mean, it's only like 20-something hours on Audible. You can kill that in a, you know, two or three good car rides because it's very well written and it's very basic. And it's called The Basics of Economics by Thomas Sowell. So I want to get into his article that he wrote today about it's, it's the programming that's going out. He doesn't call it programming, but that's what it is. It's embedded social biases that make you believe that you can't achieve something, that puts you in this state of suspended disbelief where you believe that everything is too daunting, too incredible, that you would just rather muddle through your own individual life instead of really trying to achieve greatness and trying to attain something that might be out of your reach. But see, that's the, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of humanity. That's the beauty of life. That's the beauty of the struggle. Is It's reaching for those things that are a little bit unobtainable. And then when you get that little piece of it, it makes you want more and more and more. Much like educating yourself. Remember, education doesn't stop just because, just because the Prussian model of education system cuts you off at you know, 12th grade and then dumps you into a, a Rockefeller-funded or a Ford Foundation uh, institution that teaches you the basics, never teaches you worldview, never teaches you anything of, anything of substantial worth. It teaches you how to maneuver in the system that you're in. And then we all go into our little sects and our little combines, and we all work for the system, and then we live out our golden years. We believe we're going to live out our golden years in retirement and have fun and be able to do stuff. And I am here to tell you that that is not the plan for the elite. That was the, plan, that was the second phase of the plan. The third phase is about to kick in, which is domestication, the impoverishing stage. See, you've created enough wealth to capture all of the imagination of the most ruthless psychopaths you could ever even imagine to come here to the United States to fund people. And this is what I think, I think where the general public typically stumbles. Fund people that don't have moral values. Because we as the, as the enlightened human beings, we believe that everybody shares the same empathetic you know, beliefs that we have. They all have the same impulses that we have. I can't screw somebody else. That's just bad karma. That's bad juju. That's whatever you want to call it. But there are people around and there are people that exist, and I know this is very difficult for some of you that watch television because television teaches you that psychopaths always come to your front door and they wear a mask and they have a butcher knife and they're very easy to detect. And every time you try to run away from them, you trip and fall and then they end up hacking you up. I know that that's something that you're taught. But what you're not taught is that most of the time, psychopaths can easily maneuver through the population without you even noticing it. I think 
a prime example of this is if anybody has seen the television show Dexter, you can get a really good idea of what a psychopath goes through. Once again, psychopath person that doesn't have empathy or doesn't doesn't feel um, empathy towards human beings, animals, anything. It is all about survival for them. So unfortunately, we are now in a society where we have second-level psychopaths, as, as my friend Josh likes to call it, and then first-level psychopaths that typically are running the operations here. And me personally, I wouldn't be surprised if, if an entire system that we have now is actually gamed and run by computers, because the technology that we have, let's face it, the technology, and I know that, that most people are going to call me a conspiracy theorist, but if you believe that the technology that you have at your fingertips is the latest and greatest, man, i got a bridge I want to sell you. Now see, there's a reason that our country is bankrupt, and it's not because of mismanagement of funds, and we've been you know, putting Social Security into... You know, the um, the general fund. And, no. There is a breakaway element of the United States government, which we have deemed the shadow government. Uh, if you listen to my earlier podcast, I was very much into this stuff. But what I found was that people weren't really ready for that kind of information. And I... And I found myself becoming involved in activist movements and, and doing stuff from the grassroots level to try to change things. And, and it shifted the whole tone of the show from something that I believed was a conspiratorial aspect, which really it wasn't. It's just you know, reading, you know, reading white papers, reading books that people have written, and, and doing a little deductive reasoning. And it's not, you know, drawing for grasping at straws here. It's just contemplating to yourself that maybe the world that you live in isn't the world that is the real reality. And I know that sounds like a bunch of gibberish right there, but it's true. If you can sell yourself that the reality that you live in is the ultimate reality, there's no secrets, nobody does anything behind the scenes, then fine. You're part of the population that, that never mattered. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, but you're the population, you're the, about the 80% of the population that probably sold out to the British. That's who you are, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm here for the other people. I'm here for the people that want humanity to succeed, that want real free market capitalism, not crony capitalism that gets spent off as free market. And so all the communists believe that this is the worst system in the entire world, and all it does is enslave and impoverish people. Of course, there are other systems. There's other alternate means out there. And the thing that humanity struggles with is which system works the best because there's arguments for all kinds of um, monetary systems, you know, fiscal policies. There's all types of arguments for each, and we're never going to agree on it. But the one thing that I started to shift into was trying to unite humanity, and I think that we've got the tools to do it now. And what I mean by that is we have the ability now, through the Internet, to connect with people that have different views than we do. 
Let's face it, I wasn't raised the same way you are, and I don't intend to push my beliefs onto you. But I think that there are some very simple things that we can all agree on. And once we get that kind of ball moving, then humanity will be impossible to stop. But what you can't do is let divide-and-conquer politics, which has been going on for forever, you can't let that happen. You can't let society go down roads that other countries have tried and just say, well, it's going to be different for us because we're America. That doesn't work like that. Nobody looks at a damn flag in history class. They look at the facts, look at the people that were involved, and that's it. It doesn't matter what banner you fly. What do I consider myself? I don't know. I consider myself a populist, I guess an um, anarcho-capitalist in the purest form of capitalism. And it's only because I've read books that explain it. Now, I'm going to read some communist books over the next couple of months, and it's not saying that I'm going to completely shift my ideological view. I just want to see the opposing view. And communism, not in the way that it's touted here in the United States where it's Marxist-Leninist-style collectivism or socialism but true communism in its purest form is a very sound idea but here's the problem there's nothing in it for the individual and as we know individuals make up the collective which make up the actual national the national collective which makes up the world collective so we're in a struggle here and it's an ideological struggle but it doesn't need to be with the individuals that inhabit this planet. It needs to be with the, with the people that understand what we're facing from a global scale. The global occupation of the banksters has occurred. Whether you admit that to yourself or not, they don't give a shit. Excuse my language. See, I've already started. They don't care. The bankers do not care that you know. The bankers don't care if you don't know. The system that we have is flawed. How do we fix it? We unite with each other. We have conversations with one another. Not the philosophical, ideological conversations that usually get us infighting with one another and then we split off again and then we try to unify and then we split off again. It doesn't work that way. Keep it simple. Think about things that we can all agree on. I can agree that a private banking cartel loaning my government money at interest and then me having to pay taxes which serve as debt serfdom, I think that that's a crappy system. And I think that you would agree. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you don't know what I'm talking about, please do yourself a favor. Either read The Creature from Jackal Island or you can read Dishonest Money, which is like the Cliff Notes version. It's 130 pages. It's like $10. Understand what the banking system does. Understand what a bailout is. Understand what that means. Understand these, these weapons that they're using against you in broad daylight. But most of the population has no clue. So how do we do this? You have to converse with your fellow human beings. Have a conversation. 
Grab a cup of coffee with somebody. Instead of watching some lame movie, turn the movie off for 10 minutes and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. This is really serious. And they're going to have the default reaction, the pre-programmed reaction of laughing. Because that's what every American does when they're in a situation that makes them uncomfortable. It's a, pre, it's, it's a predetermined response. It's a preconditioned response. You're going to laugh. And it's going to be the uncomfortable laugh. Hey, guess what? All right. A group of individual bankers took over the United States and said that they were going to bankrupt it in a little over 100 years, and they're almost there. Who are they? We don't know. We don't know who owns the private Federal Reserve. Doesn't that seem funny to you? Ask them that question. Hey, do you think it's funny that a private bank owns our, loans our government money? That's how we get our money? Well, that doesn't seem right. Who, who? Yeah, they're private. Well, who owns them? We don't know. Well, why don't we know? We've never really pushed. The people have never really pushed. And yeah, we're all probably on lists, everybody. Listen, every day the news comes up, it's something that I've told you before. And it's not that I'm some rocket scientist. It's because I can read. And it's because I became interested in it. But it's also because you have to think about it in terms of what would you do in the situation. And that's typically where I derive some of these, I guess, conspiracy theories that end up to be facts, even though they tell you in books what they're going to do over time. Not right in your face, like, in 1993, we're going to implement this, and this is what it's going to do, and this is how it's going to work. Nope, not going to happen. But think about this. If you were a global mafia, let's take you and maybe a hundred of your closest friends, and you could print all the money in the world because that's what they do. They can print it. What would you do? How would you make sure that nobody would ever touch your investment, that nobody would ever find out who you were? Well, I would put a bunch of front men in front of me that are yes men and that really, 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 really like money so I can buy them off. Okay, so they're never really going to let anybody get to me because if they get to me, then the money's gone. They don't want that to happen because they're, they're greedy. It's just the way it is. Let's also think about this. All right, so we got all these people on this planet. I really don't want them to find out who we do. Let's try, let's, let's try to find out who's really looking into this stuff. And we'll sell them off as quacks or we'll, you know, oh my gosh, don't you think that if if the world was run by a little private group that we would all know about it? Put that out there. They'll buy that. That seems logical. Yeah, we would know about that. Yeah, we're smart. Really? You're smart. Not nearly as smart and crafty as these people. These people have been working in the darkness almost 150 years to try to get you on the dole, to pull something out, pull the rabbit out of the hat. And it all starts with Cecil Rhodes and the Rhodes Roundtable. Now, my friend Josh has been through the entire gamut. I'm about a third of the way through it, and my mind's been blown probably six times. To the point where sometimes it's really difficult to function in society. I'm just being honest. For like half a day. You walk around and everything you see is a fraud. And that's just me personally. But I'm letting you know what's going to happen if you get into this information. Number one, what's going to happen is you're going to want to tell everybody. And they're not going to want to hear it. 
And then what's going to happen is you're going to get pissed that they don't want to hear it. And then they're really going to write you off as a quack and say, I don't want to be around you because all you do is talk that crazy talk. And what that means, or conspiracy theory means, information that I've never looked into, but it sounds too crazy to believe, so I'm just going to go ahead and discredit it, even though I've never looked into it. Even if you show somebody a book with passages in it that says, hey, look, this is what they're going to do. This is what's going to happen. Oh, that's crazy. They'll never do that. Too many people would stand up. Really? How many people in America are standing up right now? Nobody. Once again, I do legislative research for a living. I see business owners and talk to business owners for a living. And let me tell you what. They're just as apathetic as everybody else. And they've probably earned the right to be apathetic because they have done something within that community. They've built a business. They've hired people. They've employed people. They have taken risks that you, if you just got out of college, could probably never even imagine. Most of these people haven't taken a paycheck in a long time. I'm just being real with you. Letting you know in the state of our society, giving you state in the nation – not the fake state of the nation where the teleprompter reading puppet gets up there and looks from right to left, and then you have the, 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 the paid politicians that stand up one half, and then the other stand up another half, and ooh, they're not standing. Give me a break. It's not democracy. It's not a republic. It's a joke. Both parties collectively selling you down the river as they stand on each shore waving to you as you go down the river of enslavement. So what do we do? You talk to people. We find the common ground. And once we have the common ground, then you organize. We're still trying to get people to, to believe that the system isn't really the system. The system is a fraud. So once we have the intellectual, that's why I always talk about the conscious revolution, the intellectual revolution, because that's where it all begins. Free humanity from the mind control. Policemen, military people, I know that you're freaking out because they're telling you that the American people are going to riot and you're probably going to have to shoot us. You don't have to do that. I can tell you where to take the guns. It's not the IRS. It's not to, it's not to the Capitol. You take the guns to the Federal Reserves. You pull them out. You ask them where all the money went. Where did all the banker bailouts go? You really want to get to the bottom of things? Follow the money. But no, no, no. They want you to believe that our world that we live in is so divided that we're so far apart from each other that we can never come together. And I say no. I say you're too smart for that. I say that we're all too smart for that. It's time to take a stand for humanity, everybody. Time to look at who's really pulling the strings. It ain't Washington. It ain't Barack Obama. Follow the money. So here is the article. And I'm going to have to rush through this because I don't have much time left because I do want to play the entire interview live. So once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please check out the website, wearenotcattle.net. I'm going to update it again this weekend, put a whole bunch more content on there. I'm going to try to do that every weekend so you guys can have some good stuff to look through and probably twice a week during the week. 
And uh, follow me on Twitter just for fun. I, um, I'll shoot out a couple of little things here and there. I'm not going to bombard you. That's not something I'm really into. Once again, I'm out working during the week. I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to change this nation any way that I can because we're, once again, we're headed down that river. So here is the article by Thomas Sowell, and it's entitled The Race Hustlers Among Us. Holy cow, what a perfect title. It says, years ago, someone said that according to laws of aerodynamics, bumblebees can't fly. But bumblebees, not knowing the laws of aerodynamics, go ahead and fly anyway. Something like that happens among people. There are many people pondering the academic writings and downer um, editorials in the mainstream media, laminating that most people born and poor can't rise to the American society anymore. Meanwhile, many poor immigrants live here for various parts of Asia rise up the ladder anyway. Often these Asian immigrants arrive not only with very little money, but also with very little knowledge of English. They start out working low-paid jobs, but working so many hours, often more than one job, that they are able to put a little money aside. After a few years, they have enough money to open a small shop where they can afford to still work long hours and save some money that they can afford to send their kids to college. Meanwhile, these children, these children know that their parents are not only exempt, but, or not only expect, but demand that they make good grades. Most of the people try to explain to the Asian and the Asian Americans succeed well in education and the economy is somewhat special characteristics that they have. That may be true, but the success is the result of what they have done namelessly. Leaders that have told them that the deck is so stacked against them that they can't rise or that they cannot without their depending on their leaders. This is documented very, very well if you do a lot of research that the black community, and I'm not picking on the black community, but I'm sorry, but your racial leaders, they sell you guys out. They sell you out, and it is on record, so... Please, please do research, and I know a bunch of my friends are listening who are in the black community, and they're probably nodding their heads because they've read the same stuff that I have. Such leaders are not like the people that have said that the laws of aerodynamics should be the bumblebee cannot fly, but those who believe such, quote, leaders have, in fact, stayed grounded unlike the bumblebees. The painful moment came for me years ago when I was at a lecture circuit in, the, in Marquette University when a young black student arose and said, even though I'm graduating from Marquette University, what hope is there for me? I mean, seriously, dude? Wow. All right, back in 1950s when I was a student, I, I never encountered any fellow black student who expressed such hopelessness, even though there were more racial division then than there are now. We know the, the, the obstacles for us to overcome, and we intended to overcome them. That's the difference. It's the, it's the not buying into the you're already done for culture, which America is now collectively adopting, and I say hogwash. The memory of the Marquette student came back to me years later in another black young man who wanted to become a pilot and, he'd never play, and had even planned to join the Air Force in order to do so. But then he said... He now, quote, realized that, quote, the man would never allow a black guy to become a pilot. How bizarre is this in 2013? After those decades of whole squadrons of black fighter pilots that made a reputation for themselves in World War II as the Tuskegee Airmen, and even though they've had black generals in the Air Force, both of these young men and many others have learned the all-too-well lessons taught by racial hustlers that the social version of laws and aerodynamics, which they cannot rise. 
I didn't hear the racial leaders such as Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson among the Asians or the Asian Americans. Here and there you may see the irresponsible academics peddling the line in the classroom that some of the whom uh, some of Asian H or excuse me some some of whom are Asian, Asian ancestry since no race human beings is complete without lacking in fools. But they did not get the same attention or draw the same following as the race hustlers operating in the black and Hispanic communities. By and large, Asian youngsters rise and fly. Other groups in times past have arrived on these shores with very little money and very little education, at least in the immigrant generation. The poem by Carl Sandburg at the end of an era referred to the Jewish fish pillar in Chicago. His face was made of the terribly glad by selling the fish, terribly glad God that God made fish, and the customers who he whom he called his his wares from a push cart. So and the story continues here. We are almost done. And the fish peddler probably had not gone to college. And so no one had, could tell him that he couldn't make it and that his children couldn't rise because of this was such a terrible country. No one can claim that there is an anti-Semitism. No one can, no, excuse me. No one can claim that there is no anti-Semitism in, in America any more than no one can claim that there is an anti-Asian discrimination. There are plenty of both. But what is very different from the following, quote, leaders, whose message will only keep them grounded after the skies were open to them as never before. And that's Thomas Sowell, senior, senior, feller, senior fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. Oh, and he's, he's a black man, by the way. Once again, highly recommend his book, The Basics of Economics, goes through everything, goes through the rise and fall of the Russian Empire, all of it. Why, um, why typically top-down, centered, capitalistic countries never work, where you need a free market to regulate all these things in order for everything to work, and that's just the way it is. So, All right, so without further ado, it is now time for me to air my interview that I recorded with Lee Camp. So once again, if you do have children listening, sorry for the um, profanity a little bit earlier, but here is the interview I did with Lee Camp, and this is um, not littered with profanity, but it's just he and I hanging out. Our last interview was, um, was very, I thought, stuffy for a comedian, so I wanted him to loosen up and have some fun with it, so... Enjoy, everybody. I'll be back on the backside to close down the show. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. You know, share the podcast with people that you know and you like, and let's get a buzz going about this. We can all get past all these petty differences that we have. Can we just arrest the bankers, banksters and kick out this you know, parasitic sense of finance that we have and then start anew? And then we can debate about what kind of government we want? I think that that might be... A pretty swell idea. So here is my interview with comedian Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man, how you doing? Doing great. All right. So you ready to do this? Yeah. 
All right, well, uh, I'll go ahead and just cut this shit up a little bit later. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, joining me now is uh, from LeeCamp.net, actor, comedian, um, writer, everything. I mean, what do you not do, man? Activist? I mean, what do, what do you not do to help change the world here? I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> I have not danced to change the world recently. Uh, okay, well, you know, maybe we can change that. But... um Anyway, last time you and I talked to each other, it was kind of serious, so I wanted to, you know, take it back and, and get a little fun with this because, uh, yeah, fuck that. dude, life was so fucking, it's so intense. I mean, I, I want to commend you, number one, for the, uh, for the video you just released, and everybody please check that out, and I'm glad they're not recording video because they would see this fucking big-ass microphone block in my face, but anyway, but, um... The video you just released about the militarization of police and um, and basically what we're all looking at here. I mean, an activist. You're you're kind of a you're an Occupy guy, right? So yeah, I was there on the first night. So I mean, when you guys look at it from from your perspective, I mean, what do you guys think is coming down? I mean, obviously the libertarians have their ideology and their view, but what do you guys believe it all it's all about? Is it just about money? Yeah, it's just about money and profit and, yeah, the pillaging of the world. But I think a couple of things. One is that I think that even the the most powerful and the most, uh, the richest out there, I think the majority of them know that there's not a lot of time left in the way we're yeah. currently running things. Like, I don't, I think that most people assume that they figure, oh, this gravy train will just go forever. But I think a lot of them get that it's time to collect everything we can because we only have 25, you know, if we're lucky, 50 years before it's all eaten up. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that view is kind of out there among the, the most powerful and the, mo- and the richest. Um, but I also think that my – I did two videos, uh, not exactly back-to-back, but close, and mm-hmm. I they you kind of have to take them together. One is about the militarization of the police, yep. which, which you know, they've uh, in it's in NDAA, but it's also been in the law for a while that the military can give uh, military weaponry to police, local police, and so you see uh, half a billion dollars of military weaponry given to local police. Oh, well, well, well over half a billion uh, in the past year, and uh, it's. It's just this increasing use of SWAT teams and large artillery and that kind of thing. Uh, for no fucking reason, mind you. I mean, yeah, for no fucking reason. Largely for no reason. And, of course, we all saw it with Boston, uh, you know, the, the complete shutdown of Boston over two guys with essentially pipe bomb, pressure cooker bombs. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's utterly insane. Um, but I think you have to take that with my other video I did about – how I have no problem with gun ownership, but it's not going to protect you or save the things that they're stealing right now. My, my point is that people own guns largely to protect. If you ask most of them, sure, there's the occasional guy who's like, I own my gun because it protects me from the demons in my psoriasis. Yeah. But in general, most people say they own guns to protect their, their freedom, their property, and their family. Now, All of which has been stolen by the bankers. Exactly. Most of which has been stolen already by the bankers. Most people have their full houses foreclosed on. They don't have security. They don't have security in their job. Their pensions have been raided by the company. Their children are indebted to student loans the rest of their life. Can't do what they want. They're, they're, even their newborn baby belongs to the mailman. Yep. So 
it, everything's been kind of stolen, and they didn't need your gun. It would, didn't come down to guns, all right? They did it with variable, variable rate mortgages, like variable rate mortgages, they, you know, and, and, and credit default swaps. They don't need guns, all right? You can keep your gun. They're not worried about your gun. The problem is where we, your guns are, are a, 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 a device for power mm-hmm. from an olden age, and now they're being outdone by uh, investment algorithms. Absolutely. And, and people that have figured out that the way that you conquer a country, you don't conquer a country with force anymore because it's just too blatantly obvious. You go in, you send your, you know, just like John Perkins wrote about, you send your economic hitman in there. He signs up the country to a whole bunch of debt that he knows will never pay back. He makes his millions. He bounces. And then yeah. the country 10 years later goes into poverty, and everybody looks around, you know, looking at each other goes, what the hell just happened? Well, what the hell just happened is you just got conquered, but you weren't looking for that. Right. Everybody desperately needs to read uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And here's, although that book deals with the way America has done exactly what you just said to other countries over mm-hmm. the years, uh, starting back many years ago, uh, I think that uh, what that book doesn't address is that same technique has now been used on the American people. It, Amen. It, it, they figured out... We don't need bombs. We can just indebt the country to us, and then they have no choice. They have no power. They have no ability to threaten us, and we get to pillage their resources. Yep. So it's better than war because you don't destroy everything you want to pillage. Yep. So, Unless you're Donald Rumsfeld, and then you blow up a whole country in order to build it back up. Well, yeah. Then you, then you get the, the shock and awe campaign just to <laughs> wave your missile dicks, as George Carlin says, at, uh, at other people. Absolutely. Now, hey, I've never asked you that this, and I've never heard it, but um, what are your thoughts on the Federal Reserve System? What are your thoughts on fractional reserve banking in general? Yeah, I think it's just a way to uh, to gamble the people's money, uh, fractional reserve, and I think that the Federal Reserve is, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't. Uh, the one thing I don't understand is, is I suppose it may have created some some type of stability uh, after the the. You know, back in a time where we had a lot less stability in terms of the the amount of reserves and everything, but the way it's been created is it is owned by private banks, and they make, uh, you know, and I love people that try to argue against it go, most of the money the Federal Reserve makes gets back into the government. Yeah, except for 6%, which equates to billions. Every year. Every year they're guaranteed 6%. Every year these banks make billions just by the creation of our money. Out of nothing. Out of out of thin air, yeah. So so, and I also understand the people that say, well, going back to the gold uh, basing and our gold that won't solve the problem because then you can still end up with uh, similar situations. But it would at least base it on something that is an actual physical thing, and I think that actually would bring about a lot more stability. It wouldn't solve the problem, and you'd still have the insane profit motive, and you'd still have corporations uh, raping the planet and the people, but. Uh, at least you, at least you wouldn't have something out of thin air. And not only is it out of thin air, but we don't even make the pieces of paper anymore. There's not even a piece of paper. Yeah, around. ones and zeros. Ah, it's there. Don't worry about it. It's a number in, in a computer. Ninety, what? Ninety percent, ninety-nine percent of all money is never even a physical thing. That is true. It's never a tangible asset. And e- even better, so how about when Germany asked to come see the gold? When they asked to come see the gold reserves that we had, sure, we'll let you come see it. You can't be in the same room with it, and you can't touch it. But we got it. That's, it. that's the same. It's a hologram. Yeah. 
It's, it's the same thing they said for the uh, looking at the the Trans-Pacific Partnership deal. You know, yeah, they told Congress, you can come see it, but you get one hour, you can't have anything to write with, can't have anything to take photos with, can't have your phone, can't have any staff members who understand trade law, can't have any lawyers. So it's just, you know, the only one that I know of that's gone to see it is Alan Grayson. Mm-hmm. He, and, you know, he's got one hour, doesn't, you know, he does, trade law is not his specialty. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he goes yeah, there, there's nothing really in it except that it cedes sovereignty of America to corporations. No, other than that, everything's fine. It's fine. It's such a fucking joke. I mean, excuse my language, but I mean, it just, you get to a point where you just get very frustrated and you just want people to understand. And of course, everybody that I go run across and I tell them, hey, you don't need to worry about Obamacare. You need to worry about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And they're like, what is that? And it's just like, well, the reason you haven't heard about it is because of X, Y, Z and the reasons that you just forementioned was Nobody gets a chance to even divulge what's in this thing. And, of course, you know, they come out and just say, well, it establishes a planetary government run by corporations with other, and sells your children into debt slavery. But other than that, you know, that's fine. It's kind of like NAFTA and GATT. They're good things, right? They were great for America. Yeah, and they, and they learned from, from NAFTA and GATT that they don't want Americans, even though they ended up – uh, jamming it through, they don't mm-hmm. want Americans to have that debate in public. They don't want people going on TV and going, "Well, we didn't, we didn't gain jobs from NAFTA. Why are we going to gain from this new trade bill?" Well, you won't. It's it's designed <laughs> to it's designed to minimize democracy. I mean, it, it, Chomsky writes a lot about this, and a lot of his writing is from back in the '90s when they were arguing about NAFTA, and it all still applies. It, mm-hmm. It's absolutely the same thing being done again. The the key to corporate profits is to minimize democracy as much as possible, and that's what TPP does, and there's another one. You know, TPP is just for the Pacific Rim. Sure. Uh, but that wasn't enough, so there's the one for the Atlantic Rim. Transatlantic partnership, yeah. Uh, yeah, which which includes the uh, the uh, Euro zone. Mm-hmm. So basically they're roping, you know, whatever that is, 80% of the world into these <laughs> trade deals that minimize democracy, make, make – as if democracy hasn't been minimized enough by the money in the in the political campaigning system, they want to make sure and lock it down a little more. Now, here's a question for you. Should and and I know that everybody's got their own little faction. Oh, and we all have our own. Let, let me just say one more thing. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Online activism did an amazing job, an amazing job to step up and stop SOPA and PIPA when those were about to be passed. Those are in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yep. So if people got upset about that, it's now going to be passed in a separate way, a more secretive way, a way that people aren't allowed to see. It's being decided by 600 corporate lobbyists. So if you were upset about SOPA and PIPA and the freedom of the Internet, that is in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the overhaul of the system that we're in. It's a complete overhaul, and it gives everything to corporations and basically says that you have no rights you succumb all your rights, and you are part of now the, the global corporation, which is you know, what, what my listeners have heard me say for years, but that's just because I've read old books where they talk about they're going to do this. We're going to establish a planetary government run by corporations where we're above the law and everybody else has to basically just deal with it. You know, We get the magic chip that says that we're above the law and everybody else can just piss on. Yeah, and in fact, uh, patriotism it, it comes in quite handy. The idea of let's, uh, it's one nation versus another, even though sure. corporations no longer believe in that, mm-hmm. you know, Halliburton based in Dubai, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter to them, but they use it to matter to the people so that we think, you know, we think that that's what matters when, it, when, it, when in fact it's, it, it, you know, the corporations don't, what, what do they care about a nation? 
They don't give a shit. It's wherever the profits are. Once again, a nation's just a um, you know invisible lines on a map drawn by politicians. It's nothing more than that. And I think that we need to get to a point where where we can cross party lines and just look at each other and say, okay, can we? I understand that we all have our own way that we want this government to work and we want you know democracy and freedom to work. But can we just decide on some basic shit here? Can we just decide that I get freedom of speech and you get freedom of speech and and in, in case all that shit goes to hell, that we actually get an opportunity to go and not violently overthrow the government, but kick all these jokers out. I mean, when is that gonna? When is that debate gonna start? I mean, that's the thing is, I have tons of dis- disagreements with uh, libertarians on a lot of things. I have tons of disagree- disagreements with various types of activists or people that are upset about things. But at the root of it all, we got to put all that shit aside because I think there's there's a lot of things. If you say this to even even somebody who just calls themselves a Republican, if you mm-hmm. say to them, do you believe corporations should have power over the government and that your votes shouldn't really matter because it's really more of a corporate uh, uh, governance, like, or do you believe they should continue to be able to pollute people, whether the people like it or not? If you ask these things to people, they all agree. We all agree on this on this shit. We're just uh, they're able to divide us by you know names and 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 smaller issues. And I mean, the only shot we've got is to realize that at the root of it, we all are agreeing on about eighty percent of what matters. And it's the big shit that matters too. I mean, it's like, how was your money created? Who gets the money? Like. Where did the banker bailouts go? Can we find that out first? I mean, what the hell? You took all of our money, sold it to next generation's money, all of this stuff, and then you asked Bernanke, hey, where'd the money go? Well, we can't tell you that. Well, it will cause political uproar. Well, no shit. You just sold our entire life savings out to a bunch of bankers that are just like Jamie Dimon, just you know, shuffled his hand like this at everybody saying, oh, yeah, we got caught. Yeah, we paid $12 billion or whatever the hell the number is. I think it's like $14 billion now for absolutely imploding the economy in 2008, but nobody gets arrested. I mean, how the hell does that happen? Yeah, and even the settlement that just came down, a lot of people are cheering the settlement against J.P. Morgan Chase. That, it's a joke. Uh, they, they they need to pay $13 billion, but $4 billion of that is to help home, homeowners. It's homeowner relief, which is things they probably would have been doing anyway, so that doesn't really count. So then you get down to $9 billion. And it's just nothing compared to what they stole from the American people. Yeah, and, and, and the American people are so freaking lazy. And, you know, don't get me wrong, American people. You're going to wake up to this one day. But they're so freaking lazy that we they actually have documents that come out that you covered, you know, in, in one of your videos that I covered on my show multiple times where it's like, yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call each other on the phone. We're going to have our secret private lines. We're going to have conversations about how we're going to implode the economy and uh, create this derivatives bubble, and we're going to sign everybody except for Brazil onto it. And then, and then nobody gets in trouble for this. And then they just say, well, you know, we're sorry. We're sorry we did this. It, just, it gets yeah, aggravating. It, it shows, I mean, at the heart of it, it shows where the control lies because you have, you know, Eric Holder said, and, you know, this, uh, this also can relate to the, the J.P. Morgan settlement that just came down, but – Eric Holder said these banks are too big to prosecute, too big to even prosecute. So that, means, that means too big to even threaten to hold them accountable for the wrongs they've done, which means 
if, you know, and his reasoning behind it is, well, it could hurt the economy if you prosecute them. Well, what do you think hurts the economy or at least people's lives more? How about them knowing there is no risk in doing anything and everything, whatever the fuck they want? Mm-hmm. There's no risk in it because they've been told by the attorney general that they're too big to prosecute. Yeah, so and, go gang rape the nation, guys. Get them. Yeah, and you look, uh, and, and you look even deeper, you see that the entire team that just did the settlement with J.P. Morgan Chase, including Eric Holder, all worked for a law firm that represents J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's this revolving door. They're all sprinting around this revolving door of the private sector and government. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a ruling class. It is completely a ruling class that are enriching themselves. And, you know, as I've always said, you don't have to be a genius to realize top-heavy things fall down. All you have to do is picture Philip Seymour Hoffman riding on the shoulders of Natalie Portman. <laughs> That's so true. That's the way things are set up. Now, here's a question for you. I mean, do, they, do you really think that they believe that they're going to get away with all this crap? Do you really think that they believe that the people are just so dumbed down now with all the, the GMO food that we're eating and all these other toxifying things that we're putting in under our body? Do you really think that they think that, well, we'll just – hang out in armored redoubts, implode the economy, and then when everything, you know, after all these people kill each other, we'll just emerge and start something anew. Uh, yes, I think they do think they'll get away with it, and I think that uh, they are giving local police armored vehicles, so if they need the police to protect them, they've got that ready to go. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I think, that, I think that they do believe they're above the law. And you look, you look even at a smaller level at, say, a, uh, a Tom DeLay, Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most corrupt lawmakers we've ever had, and and like corrupt on a lower level where it's easy for people to see, and he then goes through three years of trials and ultimately has his sentence overturned, and now is a free man. Um, and you know, this is after, and and doesn't even get that much news coverage because this is three years after everyone was furious at him, so people just forget, they move on, mm-hmm. they turn on the reality shows, and they go to sleep and. And now the fact that he's not serving in jail time, people hardly even notice it. Absolutely. And then what, what do you think is going to happen when they start, you know, devaluing all the EBT cards? I mean, let's face it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm one for helping my fellow man, and I'm one for helping somebody else that, that needs a hand up. And now we have a, we have a, we have a populace that basically has 45-plus uh, percent on some kind of assistance from the government. Now, if the government starts to turn those things off, what happens then? I mean, what do we see then? Yeah, I know they're, they're trying to cut back on food stamps, and and that's the hilarity of this whole austerity argument. Which, luckily, you know, people love to say Occupy didn't accomplish anything, but it changed that entire debate. We were started to have this debate back when Occupy began about austerity, and everyone said, and well, at least Occupy and protest who said, "Fuck that." This isn't about austerity. This isn't about cutting back on your average man. This is about the egregious wealth of the top 1%. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the take-home wealth, the take-home income of the top 1% has increased uh, from 9% in the 70s of total wealth to 24% now. And mm-hmm. that's, over, that's over only 30 years. Um, and, you know, CEOs are making on average 380 times as much as the average worker, and no one in the right mind believes they're doing 380 times as much work. So it's, uh, it, 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 the idea of austerity is hysterical on so many levels. I mean, on top of that, being told that people on food stamps need to cut back 
Meanwhile, we have the, the amount of money we dump in the military, 57% of discretionary funding spending is on military, and 5% is on education. So you end up with drones that are brilliant and teenagers that can't be allowed near scissors without supervision. That's, when you spend all your money on bombs and nothing on, on education, you, you end up with that. Yeah, it's, and it, it, we're the Roman Empire all over again. So the money we put in the military could solve all of these problems, even half of it could solve all of these problems instantly. We have 900 military bases around the world. Meanwhile, our economy is filled with debt. Our people are filled with Kentucky Fried Chicken. The chicken's filled with hormones. The hormones filled with mercury. And we don't know what the fuck mercury is filled with because we defunded NASA. <laughs> I laugh because it's so fucking true and it's so crazy. When you actually sit there and think about the way that we, that we run this country, and, and heaven forbid, you know, I... I I, I have a lot of friends that are Republicans. I live in the Deep South. I live in Georgia. But then they're like, don't cut the military. I'm like, look, I'm not talking about cutting the military. How about we stop having bases all over the world and, 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 and instigating wars through proxies? How about quit funding the radical Islamicists so they stir up a whole country? And then we go, well, they're having trouble over there. we got to go fucking straighten shit out over there. Well, and, and, you know, a U.S. official, I can't remember which one, came out this week and said that each drone bombing is creating 40 new enemies, which makes sense. When you're, that's what they're supposed you know, to do, and that's what's so fucking nuts. That's what they want it to do. God. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's uh, possible, but I, I think that in their deluded world, they actually think that taking out some uh, al-Qaeda leader or whatever, whether it's a leader or not, you know, some 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 guy that's, that's speaking about uh, jihad or whatever is, they, they think that taking him out and killing 15 civilians and turning an entire village against us is, is justifiable and okay because they took him out. And it's, it's preposterous. It is turning the entire world against us. And by the way, if anyone uh, hasn't already, you should, everyone should watch uh, Dirty Wars by Jeremy Scahill. Amen. Now, I mean, why is it, why is it that the American populace can't see the the overarching theme that's going around the world. Ourselves with shiny shit and zombified ourselves with televised social rejects, and we all just want a little bit of comfort. I'm, you know, I'm my video for next week is likely going to be on uh, the moment of clarity video is going to be on uh, how, as long as we have a little bit of comfort. And I know people are struggling, but they just have enough comfort, just barely to not want to stand up and to not uh, uh, really uh, speak their mind and, and really inform themselves, take the time to inform themselves. They, they just have, as long as they have that couch and they have the TV for a couple of hours a night and they can afford to, to rent a video game or whatever the fuck, then it's just enough comfort, just barely, for them to, to sit back and think, well, it, it, I'm sure it'll work out. I'm sure yeah. And it's, uh, it's like one of my friends that comes on my show a lot says, he said, um, you know, as long as people have a roof over their head and food in their belly, that they will not riot, especially here in America. And, and I think that you hit, hit the nail on the head, food in, food in your belly, roof on your head, and some sort of entertainment, then the distraction will that's, continue. That's why uh, I, don't, I don't think, uh, I, I'm not in, in the belief that they, they did it intentionally, but that's why McDonald's and, and the like is so brilliant. Yeah, everyone's got... Yeah, it's horrible food. It's disgusting, terrible food that's bad for you and will kill you. But everyone has food in their belly, and that's why each cow is subsidized to the tune of, you know, uh, sixty. I think a hamburger would, a McDonald's hamburger would cost sixty dollars if it were an actual 
uh, amount of money that it costs to create one. Wow. Like if you counted all the feed that goes into the cow and everything else, it would be $60, and instead it's a dollar. And so they're subsidizing this this food so that everybody is able to have food in their belly, you know? Now, I know we're uh, we're almost running out of time here, and it's been – dude, it's always fun to talk to you because, like I said, we're – politically, I guess we're a little bit different. I don't really paint myself in a political corner because I think that's bullshit because that's how a lot of arguments start. But – um. You know, what, what's the big takeaway from people, number one, listening to your comedy, you know, listening to what you write or reading what you write about? What's the big takeaway for humanity that, that you need to really get out to everybody? That there's not much time left. As <laughs> uh, funny as that was Gallo's humor because he, he and I both laughed, but we also both know that's very fucking true. That, that, that there's not much time left to stand up at the very least. Uh, I, I think that in a lot of ways we are going. I mean, if you look, and in, in one of many ways, whether it's the, the corporate pillaging, whether it's the loss of democracy, whether it's the loss of freedoms and rights, whether it's uh, – whether it's the environmental destruction that goes on on so many different levels, you, I mean, you'd be out of your mind, but you could not even, don't even have to believe in climate change, and you could still see that we're depleting all our resources and destroying the ability of the, the plants and animals to regenerate themselves and the bumblebees are dying off and the, the ocean's becoming more acidic and, and not to mention radioactive. Although I'm always, I've always looked forward to swimming in a, a, a glowing green ocean. That should be exciting. That was probably the preconditioning by the Simpsons showing you the three, three-eyed fish back in the day. Yeah. yeah. But it's a, there's many ways you can see that there's just not a lot of time left to turn this around and go a different path. And you don't have to change it all yourself. You just have to provide your little bit of the, the puzzle. To, to creating some change. We are in a car going off a cliff, and meanwhile, we're looking out the back window of the car and going, oh, that's a pretty sunset. <laughs> I would agree with you 100%. So, um, yeah, we got to let you go, man. But um, go ahead and plug all your stuff. Where can people find you? Um, where are you going to be touring, most importantly, so people can come out and meet you in person? The main ones coming up are Chicago, Denver, and Montreal, although I'm in New York City uh, a lot, so I perform almost every week here. And uh, my schedule is at LeeCamp.net. There's a tab that says Schedule. And uh, Denver will be November 1st. And then Chicago, I'm doing it with a fellow occupier and amazing comedian named Ted Alexandro. People have probably seen him on Comedy Central and Letterman and everything. And uh, we're doing a joint show. It should be really cool. That's November 15th. Um, and then uh, Montreal is the beginning of December. I'm doing three shows at the Yuck Yucks in Montreal. And all that's at LeeCamp.net. I put out free videos every week. I put out free podcasts. You can look up a podcast if you're a podcast guy on iTunes or whatever. It's called Moment of Clarity. And, uh, yeah, it's all at LeeCamp.net. And I have two comedy albums and a book people can check out as well. Absolutely. Well, um, we do appreciate the time, man. And uh, I always appreciate hanging out with you because it's, uh, like I said, we're all in this fight together. And, you know, not to, not to plug my shit, but we are not cattle. And we gotta start acting like it. So, no, you, you, you should plug your shit. Keep getting the truth out there. Yeah, well, that's what it's all about, man. So uh, appreciate the time once again, man. I look forward to talking to you soon. All right, later, man. See ya. All right, guys, that was it. That was my interview with LeeCamp.net, and um, that's the end for the podcast. So get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And we'll see you Tuesday, nine o'clock p.m. Be there. Oh, you.
deserve your freedom. 